Welcome to the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Gross, Ironman champion, PhD in women's history, and founder and CEO of Feisty Media. I started this show because I wanted to cut through the BS of diet culture and fitness culture and actually learn from high achieving women at the top of their game who have figured out how to feel and perform their best at every stage of life. So I chat with experts, elite athletes, and leaders who have learned to succeed despite the massive gender data gap in exercise and medical science and product development. Every episode is filled with information, advice, and anecdotes that will help you fulfill your potential as an athlete, mom, leader, or business owner. And listen up. If you don't subscribe to our women's performance newsletter, you are definitely missing out. It's totally free. So head over to womensperformance.com and subscribe now. That's womensperformance.com. This podcast is a production of Feisty Media. Hello, Feisties. Welcome back to the Women's Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Gross. And if you are looking for inspiration and motivation, you are in the right place today. I think like most people when I was younger, I had no clue about the potential of women as we age. And this was because most of the dominant cultural examples and narratives were about slowing down, becoming frail, cautious, and generally less adventurous. It's a pervasive myth that women no longer want high stakes adventure, recklessness, and exhilaration. But is it true? My guest today, author Caroline Paul, explores this topic in her latest book, Tough Broad. The book itself is wonderfully easy to read and is a deeply researched exploration into the science and psychology of the outdoors and our place in it as we age. Caroline spoke with adventurous women all around the U.S. about their journeys through aging and the activities that have changed their lives, including base jumping, wing walking, yes, on the wing of a flying plane, swimming, orienteering, hiking, scuba diving, boogie boarding, and BMX riding. She examines the different ways that activities and the outdoors can help us age better become happier, and improve our spirit, mind, body, and heart, and also offers the science to back it up. As you'll hear, it's never too late to learn and explore something new, even if it's just a simple walk outdoors. Our brain is constantly rewiring and can become even more innovative and creative with our pursuits as we age. So whether it's bird watching, mountain biking, or yes, even wing walking, I learned through this conversation with Caroline that adventure awaits regardless of your age. Caroline is the author of the New York Times bestseller, The Gutsy Girl, Escapades for Your Life, An Epic Adventure, and Lost Cat, A True Story of Love, Desperation, and GPS Technology, which has been translated into 15 languages. She is also the author of the memoir, Fighting Fire, the middle grade book, You Are Mighty, A Guide to Changing the World, and the novel, East Wind, Rain. Her TED Talk, To Raise Brave Girls, Encourage Adventure, has been viewed over two million times. This is, without a doubt, one of the most inspiring podcasts I have ever recorded. The book, Tough Broads, drops on March 5th. So make sure you head over to the link in the show notes and order it now. I highly, highly recommend it. 
Caroline. Hi, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Sarah. I'm happy to be here. Well, I'm so happy to be talking to you. Like I said before the show, I basically binge read your book in the last 24 hours. So some of the pieces stuck in my brain and I was very, very inspired um, and actually had a few moments of realization myself of some of the things that I should be doing um, as I age. But I'm wondering for you, what was it? Like, what was the inspiration to get started on this book? What was the moment that said, I have to write about this? Um, the moment, well, I was, I was around 55, so I was kind of approaching 60 and I very clearly remember being out surfing with my friend, Bonnie, who's also a writer. And we were in on ocean beach, which is a kind of, it's, it's a pretty burly, uh, break it's i mean a place it's got a lot of break. i think we've had bonnie on one of our podcasts also. oh bonnie rocks yeah, yeah. Oh, good. Oh, good. Yeah. i should be mm-hmm. like and i looked around and there was just no women my age out there and mm. i'm not a good surfer i'm a really good paddler so i wasn't going to kill myself or hurt anybody else but i knew there were a lot of women who were better than me who were my age or older and they weren't out there and even in the the easier spots they're not i'm usually the mm oldest person or oldest, excuse me, woman, because there's a lot of men who are older than me. And I kind of began to wonder about my own future. Mm-hmm. Like I've always been an outdoors person. Uh, from from very young, I was, I mean, when in my twenties, I was a rafter, I was a pilot. Um, I began doing mountain bike trips around the world. I mean, I've been an outdoors person my whole life and I was suddenly facing, you know, the sort of blinking light of 60 and wondering, Oh, am I supposed to pull back now? Mm-hmm. So this book is really a quest to answer that question. Wow. Okay. And we're going to get into some of the outcomes of that quest. Um, but at the beginning of the book, you tell this incredible story or the kind of fun story, I guess, of like you're being stopped at a national park by a young ranger and you can't take your car in and you're kind of like, okay, is it okay if I take my one wheel <laughs> and you pull it out? I think you're 57 at the time. Am I right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And so you pull this one wheel out of the back of the car and just kind of watch the expressions on the faces of people around you. And you say like, it's not just the young rangers who don't have a clue about our potential as aging women, but we don't either. Um, what's the biggest misconception you find on this topic of of aging and the outdoors for women? I mean, there's lots of them, but I would say that uh, the one that struck me the most was that we no longer want these aspects of fun and exhilaration that we had when we were younger. And sort of the younger generation claims these attributes of like exhilaration and a little bit of recklessness and exploration kind of as their own. And they don't think that, well, first of all, that we don't want it. And certainly if we want it, we still shouldn't go after it because, you know, we're on a sort of a steep decline cognitively and probably physically. Mm -hmm. And um, it's just not true. Yeah. It's it's interesting because as you're as you're talking, I was like, oh yeah. And I think I see we don't have that same narrative of men as they age. Like it's we do have some negative narratives around aging just broadly for any gender, but I I feel like, oh, an adventuring 60-year-old man isn't necessarily seen the same way as an adventuring 60-year-old woman, right? Um, yeah, I mean, I've experienced this a lot. I so a one wheel for people who don't know is like an electric skateboard. It's mm-hmm. kind of, uh, um, uh, it looks a little bit 
people ride it. They look a little bit like snowboarders on a sidewalk. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I've never seen a woman even close to being my age uh, on that. Right. I don't think I have either. Right. There are definitely skateboarders, female skateboarders. And I I know of them and I wanted to interview them. They were very hard to reach because they were out skateboarding, I guess. <laughs> And because I had already talked about riding my own one wheel, I decided not to talk to a mm. skate. But there are a lot of female skateboarders. But nevertheless, particular on a on a one wheel, not that it's more badass than a skateboard, because it definitely is not. But I just did not, um, you know, just don't see women on, on them. Mm. I, I don't think it's easy for men to age either. But I think they face... Um, vastly different challenges than we do. Yeah. And so that's why I didn't write this book for both men and women. Being outside is definitely going to benefit men too, no question. But the messages they're getting from society are different. I mean, and I say this in the book, like we men get James Bond villains. They get Indiana Jones, aka Harrison Ford, who I don't know how old he is, 75, I think, you know, starring in a movie stumbling mm -hmm. through tombs with snakes. We huh. don't get that. We get uh, women who like, I don't know, serve tea when Indiana Jones comes home. Mm -hmm. So the messages are vastly different. The expectations for men in the outdoors, uh, you know, it's not that much of a, of, you know, people are not flummoxed when they see an older man on a skateboard. Right. That's so true. And you said, you mentioned it there and you said it also in the book that you really believe in mentorship and that we need templates in our life. I think that was the phrase that I wrote down because I liked it so much. Um, and you talked to a lot of women as obviously as you wrote the book, is there, was there any of them in whom you saw like an echo of your future self or who would be your template? Well, all of them actually. I mean, that was and not to be, uh, uh, there was I went in, so what happened was when this book was, I was about to write the book and setting up interviews and then the pandemic hit. So suddenly I couldn't go outside and be with all these women that I had found, mostly on the internet, some friends. I did hire a researcher. You know, mm -hmm. honestly, it was kind of hard to find these women because in it feels like maybe women don't trumpet themselves as much as men. They don't photograph themselves. They're just not, they're not, out there visible. I mean, I remember thinking about base jumping, for instance, and I did go interview a base jumper and thinking, oh, I don't think any women base jump. And it's because I hadn't seen any, uh, or I, I definitely didn't think any women did um, wingsuit flying. And it's because I hadn't seen them on Instagram, like I had not. And I think it turned out that there are a lot of women who do it, but uh -huh. just are not maybe quite as, and I, there's nothing against putting yourself out there, but it was hard to find these older women. Uh -huh. And when the pandemic hit, I, nobody wanted to be interviewed by me. So instead I did a lot of research on aging. So I came uh -huh. into my interviews really understanding the concerns right. people had and that I had, you know, about maybe my memory um, about my cognitive possible cognitive decline and my um, my physical strength, mm -hmm. and so I went in with eat to each um, really outdoor activity that ranged from uh, you know scuba diving with an eighty year old mm -hmm. to going bird watching, and I went in kind of thinking already that I knew where it would fit in my um, analysis of how it would help us age. 
And I came out every time completely surprised. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's not that it didn't fit that, but it it offered so much more. So to answer your question, I mean, really, honestly, each, each woman uh, was an inspiration uh, yeah. in, in different ways. Yeah. And I was thinking, you know, the, the two chapters that blew my mind the most were the base jumper um, and the was it wing, yeah. wing walking, like, <laughs> like those two things are wild. And you said just now that you like, you went in thinking something different, perhaps that you came out like what was what surprised you the most about those two stories in particular, because they just seem like I'm reading when I was reading that I was thinking I could never do that. <laughs> yeah. you know? Well, base jumping, I already thought, you know, I'm not really going to write about this. I kind of just want to tag along with Sean Brogman. And and uh, I wasn't actually, it was the only thing I didn't actually do because I'm right. accident prone. And even though I have a long history of hurling myself off cliffs, mm-hmm. uh, it is not base jumping. For those of you who don't know, base jumping is when you jump off a cliff and then you free fall and then you reach for your parachute and you throw it. <laughs> And throw it. Oh I God. actually told Sean, well, what about because I was a paraglider, which is also kind of similar, except not because you actually inflate everything on land. It's way safer. You do not step off that cliff until your your wing is completely inflated. And you also have an emergency chute right next, you know, right by if, if that one is tangled. So I asked Sean, well, what about your emergency chute? You know, when do you pull that? And she's like, there's no time. We don't have an emergency chute. And so when I went, I didn't really think that was an adventure that any of us would want to do per se. So why would I have it in the book? But I, I really wanted to hang out with her. She's so amazing. She was 52. She's a uh, retired she's a kindergarten school teacher. She's African-American, very unusual to have an African-American woman in the, in the outdoors like she is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, she's uh, a woman w- in, a, in a sport that's mostly men. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to just hang out with her, to be honest. I was like, I'm a writer. Can I, can I hang out with you? And I wasn't sure it would be. But it turned out what I realized from ba- base jumping or help it, accompanying her on her base jump, her and her husband and their friend Jimmy, uh, was that I was like inspired about my future, understanding that mm. if she can do it, well, I'm not going to base jump per se, but there are things that'll be my own sort of version of base jumping. Mm-hmm. Well, and it sounds That's like you're, nice. yeah, like you're not that adverse to doing something, um, what do you call it, adrenaline producing. <laughs> Right. Um, in terms of like your own background and and the things that you like to do already. So I'm actually kind of surprised you didn't jump off <laughs> El Capitan. You know what? Day. My wife and my mother both were like, no. And I said, okay. And also it's true. Like I'm really accident prone. It's it's sad, but true. So um maybe maybe in my future, possibly, but it is really one of the most dangerous sports in the world. So instead I went wing walking, which actually does sound ridiculous. It but sounds equally as dangerous to me. <laughs> well, it's, um, I, my researcher sent me this video of this woman who, who, uh, what, whose name is Cynthia Hicks. Mm-hmm. And she got up on the wing of a plane while it was at 3000 feet. And then the pilot, not only does she walk on the wing and strap herself into the king post, I'm watching all this on on video that was sent to me. And um, 
But then the pilot does loops and barrel rolls and hammerheads. And the whole time she has this big smile on her face. And I really wanted to talk to her. So I tracked her down and it turns out she was 71. She had, yeah, and she had cancer Mm -hmm. and she had, um, really wanted to do this and had trained for it. And it's a course, it's, it's a course you take, there's only one place in the United States that you can do this. By the way, for those of you who don't know what wing walking is, that's fine because wing walking is weird and you don't need to know, but I will tell you, it comes from the barnstorming days of the 1920s and thirties when flight was pretty new and they would have aerial performers do crazy things on on biplanes. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it was quite well known back then, but now we don't know anything about it. Yet this one place teaches it and it's a one day course and then they take you up. And what Cynthia told me was, you wouldn't imagine the courage that you gain from realizing that you can climb up on a wing at 3000 feet. Mm. And I was like, gosh, this means I have to go do it. Because yes. <laughs> I thought it was in a really interesting, the reason I was interested in it, because I wanted to know what a one-time outdoor adventure could do for us. Right. You know, was it, and it seemed like what Cynthia was saying was, it gives you confidence just once, just doing something once, just pushing your boundaries. So I didn't really want to get out of a perfectly good cockpit, frankly. Mm-hmm. I'm a pilot. <laughs> I fly experimental planes. They're a little bit janky themselves. Like, why <laughs> to do this. And I have to say, I wasn't that psyched. Mm-hmm. And when, when I got up, but I was curious, okay, I want, I'll go for this confidence. And I get up there and I get on the wing at 3000 feet mm-hmm. and I strap myself in still a little bit um, perturbed that I have to do this, uh, but doing it for my book and the pilot starts doing barrel rolls and hammerheads. And I was ecstatic that's amazing. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. And wow. That was one of the big chapters where I went in thinking I knew what I was looking for uh-huh. and I came out with something completely different. Right. So what I went in thinking is that it would give me this confidence. And I had been in the past like 10 years, a little bit um, uh, disappointed in myself that I wasn't the adrenaline junkie that I had been when I was young. And I just kind of, you know, I preferred to kind of sit on the couch and watch TV with my cats and my wife rather than uh, maybe go out and for a bike ride in the rain kind of thing, which is not, which was a big change. And I thought, oh, is this because I'm getting older? Mm. And I thought, well, I guess I'm not a daredevil anymore. It is true that I fly experimental planes, but I'm I don't do it, you know, to feel like I'm almost going to die, which I have to say I probably did when I was younger. Right. But I didn't really look deeper into why I was doing it. And it turned out that after I got off the wing of that plane and realized how it had really been mind blowing, I looked deeper into it and I realized what I was experiencing was something that we now have done a lot of research on, but it was very new to me. And it's called awe. Mm. It was awe inducing. And that, I realized it was like a bolt of lightning was why I had been going outside for the past 10 years. It wasn't for adrenaline anymore. It was for this awe that I continually got when I got in, when I went out into the ocean and saw a wave and a bird, or I, you know, got on my one wheel on a beautiful bike trail and saw a view like it was Mm -hmm. awe. 
Mm-hmm. That's wow. What a story. And I, you know, and you connect the dots with that awe really well in the book, you know, and I think for a lot of people, myself included, who think like, I'm never going to get up on on the wing of a plane. Um, it's nice to find that connection point between like, where it's like, oh, but what I can do is seek awe and maybe experience some percentage of what you experienced out there on the wing. Um, and, and that it kind of leads, sorry. No, I was just going to say, well, it's, studies show that, you know, awe is a perspective. It's not about what you're doing per se. So mm-hmm. I completely support you if you don't want to go on a wing of the plane. I think that I think I'm for that. Uh, if Cynthia hadn't done it, I would not have done it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are studies that show that if you simply change your attitude about something and uh, that you can induce awe in yourself. So mm-hmm. awe is something that's usually um, a religious experience, but I think a lot of athletes and you're an athlete, so you've probably experienced this yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's usually induced by something that makes us feel uh, smaller or there's something bigger than us. So religious experiences um, typically, but now they've found that you can induce all by just, as they said, looking at things with childlike eyes. So they, they had people who were older go on what they called all walks. So that's walks outside. And um, to just uh, look at things they said with childlike wonder. Mm-hmm. So, and so that's not, I went wing walking, they went path walking and they experienced also awe. Maybe mm-hmm. it wasn't, you know, tinged with the kind of, maybe abject fear that I had too, but it was awe and it was just as valuable. And you can get that when you go outside, no matter what you're doing. Mm-hmm. It, it sort of, it made me realize some of my choices too. Like when I was sitting in my living room this morning, reading the book, I'm like, oh, I think that that feeling of awe is part of why I chose to live where I live because I can look out. I look out across like a gorge and I can see downtown and I can see the sunrise and I'm like, oh, I seek that in the morning, you know, like there's something unconscious about how I made all of those choices. So now, and after reading that, I was like, oh, you know what? I could be even more conscious about that and do that even more and make sure that I look out and make sure I sit outside at least once a day or whatever. So um, I'm so glad. I'm so glad. That makes me feel good. Yeah, it also connected the dots too between like you also had a chapter on bird watching, right? Where it's like, because at first it seems like, okay, what what are the connection between these things besides the fact that you're outside? Bird watching is very tame, <laughs> tame type of activity compared to standing on the wing of a plane. Um, so, but is that part of the connection point between like between that experience of wing walking, bird watching? Are there other connections you managed to make as you were writing? Well. I did, I have to say, well, two things. First of all, getting outside is key. I mean, people, you know, I'm sure feel adventurous when they're, you know, at work, maybe cracking a problem that they've, um, that has been dogging them for a long time. I mean, I think you can uh, define adventure differently, but being outside as we get older is key because of how medicinal it is. And there's so much research on, on the the physiological effects of being outside, just bird song, uh, the chemicals of trees, uh, the just the actually the the rounded shapes of nature is so calming to our brain. Mm-hmm. And as I say in the book, there's other countries have actually subsidized 
outdoor paths for their citizens because they understand uh, the well-being, the, the holistic well-being, not just the biological, the physiological health, but the, the holistic because it it, it's, a, it's a stress reducer as well. But it also is an inflammation reducer. So, I mean, being outside was key. I knew being outside as we age was going to be key. So now it's about like adventure. What's adventure? Well, for me, adventure, a lot of people don't want to do the adventures that I go on. You know, they don't want to get in a kayak and go to uh, an ocean and kayak from island to island for a month. They don't want to do that. And I get it. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to have a range of outdoor activities. But I have to say that when I went bird watching and actually boogie boarding, those two things, I was like, mm, this is kind of stretching the adventure, the uh, definition of an adventure. But I guess I'm going to do it. In particular with bird watching, I interviewed uh, Virginia Rose, who is in a wheelchair herself. Mm -hmm. And as she says, like, we're all going to be, if we're lucky, where she is now. So as we age, there is a physical decline of sorts, for sure. And obviously, it's precipitous for some people. Um, but also, there's a physical decline at any time in our lives. So be aware of that. Like, it's not necessarily linked with age. But I was looking for an outdoor activity that uh, would we we would be able to adapt to. We would be able to, as we age, still do and get the benefits of being outside. And then the adventure part, I was like, ah. Well, I guess I could kind of squeeze it in. I'm a writer. <laughs> I can I can make it work. Well, it works. Well, I realized like it is an adventure. I mean, it had all the whole all the rhythms of adventure. It had anticipation, like we were looking for birds, and mm -hmm. it had definitely had the physical aspect because we were outside, we were walking, and we were. It was a nice day, but I mean, it can rain, it can be windy, it can you know when when you're outside on a walk there's still a lot of physical vitality that you're feeling, you know, depending on the weather and the terrain. So it, it had, and it had exhilaration when we saw a bird and it had those kind of stretches of boredom as well, when we were just walking and looking. And, and that is, that, that is the symphony of adventure right there. Mm -hmm. And I realized that, yes, I, I broadened my definition of adventure genuinely to include, bird watching and mm -hmm. I think it's it's just an amazing way to get outside and and stretch ourselves mm -hmm. yeah I love it I love the way you describe that it's like what you make of the adventure as as much as it is the adventure itself yeah right so exactly. you could say that looking at it somebody might argue that looking at a bird is boring but you know that's just their that's just a perspective <laughs> you know if we if we bring a positive optimistic mindset then it can be very adventurous um like other activities too mm -hmm. I, I maybe i, I want to add that maybe because i start the book with this how much adventure is um precluded from our sense of aging for mm -hmm. i feel like the messages that we get, as I said before, are that aging for women is a time of, of gen, general decline, um, that, you know, we have, there's going to be fading looks, fading health, irrelevance. I mean, you'll, most of us will talk to friends who say, I feel invisible after a certain age. Mm -hmm. Culturally, um, we, we just get messages from 
all over and they're insidious and subtle. And again, we believe it ourselves. Mm -hmm. uh, so adventure, no matter how, whether you're walking on the wing of a plane or bird watching is a direct rebuke to all that. And that's why it's so powerful. So getting outside and adventuring is telling your whole being that you are a vital person who is continually exploring and who loves to feel exhilarated and invigorated. And you're maybe a little careless, a little reckless. You know, there's all this uncertainty, all these things that are hallmarks of adventure, but are supposedly not something that we as older women should be mm -hmm. engaging in. For decades, running shoes have been researched, tested, and designed for men. Brands have relied on the shrink it and pink it approach to sell male shoes to female customers. That's why we are so excited to be working with Hedas. Hedas designs athletic footwear for women that elevates performance, safety, and style. Hedas unlocks the science behind women's biomechanics through dedicated research, creates better shoes for women that support their longevity and performance, and establishes new design standards to promote transparency in a male-biased industry. Hedas have a lower ankle collar to reduce rubbing, a breathable mesh toe box to allow for ventilation and to allow for female toe shape, a special kind of plate in the midsole to keep tired legs going, a narrow heel cup to reduce heel slippage and take the pressure off our Achilles, and a rounded instep to create a snug fit. Hedas has three shoe models designed for different sessions, the Alma Cruise for long runs, the Alma Tempo for training days, and the Alma Speed for pushing the pace. I've personally been running in the Alma Cruise and I love them. It's the shoe I always wanted and never knew I needed. The fit is perfect in every way. You can get your own pair of Hedas at Hedas.com and use the code FEISTY20 for 20% off. That's FEISTY20 at Hedas.com and it will all be in the show notes. As we head into summer, rest and recovery are critical for improving sports performance, reducing stress, and living a long and healthy life. We should all invest in better sleep. So think about the thing you lay your head on for eight hours a night. If it's not exactly right for you, it can lead to needless tossing and turning, or worse, have you waking up with an unrelenting kink in your neck. My new Lagoon pillow has helped me improve my sleep immensely by pairing me with the performance pillow that has everything I need. So I personally was matched with the Otter pillow, shout out to Team Otter, which I love because it has a gentle cooling effect. And I was able to choose how much stuffing I wanted in it, which is super important to me because I'm doing a decent amount of CrossFit these days and my shoulders are kind of creaky. So having a pillow that is stuffed just to the right height keeps my neck and head in exactly the right position and comfortable for the entire night. And as of fall 2023, Lagoon launched their 100% Mulberry Silk pillowcases. It's cool to the touch, buttery soft, and great for your skin and hair. You've got to go check out this pillowcase if you want to feel great and look great every morning. 
Waking up for morning workouts has never felt better. I'm refreshed and pain-free thanks to my Lagoon pillow. To check it out for yourself, go to lagoonsleep.com forward slash performance and take the two-minute sleep quiz to find your perfect pillow match. And then use the code PERFORMANCE for 15% off your first purchase. That's code PERFORMANCE at lagoonsleep.com forward slash performance, whole 15% off, and the link is in the show notes. You can just click through there. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, you mentioned, and it's very true that like, Culturally, as women, we get a lot of negative messages about aging and and who we're supposed to be and what we can and can't do, mostly what we can't do. Um, But then also you mentioned all the research around how having an optimistic view of aging actually really helps us to age well. Oh, yeah. The studies are are uh, they're they're pretty clear on that. Yeah. So then what was it that you saw or what did you learn during the course of writing this book from all the women that you talked to about how to keep that kind of optimistic and outlook basically while while we're facing all that, all the kind of cultural messaging that that we all face? Well, I don't think they were actively trying to keep that outlook. I think that mm. by engaging in that outdoor activity, they were submerging themselves in that positive feedback that we're not getting from the zeitgeist. Mm. You know, so for instance, when I went scuba diving with Louise Holy, who's 80, um, I kept asking her about, you know, what did she think about aging when she was uh, younger? What about aging now? And she kind of started looking at me like, I don't even factor it in now. It's not like none of these women wanted to be younger. In fact, and this was mind blowing to me, time and again, when we talked about it, they would say the 60s were their favorite decade of all. Like, right. you know, the carefree 20s, no. The, mm-hmm. you know, striving 30s, nope. Uh, it's the 60s because I think it was this perfect synergy and intersection of health. You're still healthy. And yet you're free of a lot of the caregiving that you had to Mm. do when you were, if you have kids or if you have a career that, um, or, you know, that that's expected of women who are younger and there's kind of a, you know, uh, I can't say this on radio, but, um, this like, uh, can say it on my podcast. Okay. (laughs) Kind of attitude that they had, like, I don't care. I don't, give a darn what other people think anymore. And part of that, as you probably know, is actually hormonal. It's actually, you know, our hormones have changed and the extreme caregiving hormones have subsided a lot. And now what we're doing in our sixties is more focusing on ourselves and, and, Partly it's circumstantial, you know, I mean, the kids are out of the house or, you know, we don't have the same kind of responsibilities, but really partly it's physiological, it's hormonal. And so I think that this is a, so like my gyrocopter instructor told me, so one of the things that I was interested in is novelty as we age, because that does also start to wane we are get fixed in, um, or we're certainly told that we've pretty much figured it all out. So just stay where you are. So novelty is not something that we're 
encouraged to pursue. And in fact, you know, again, it's considered maybe a little trepidatious for us to go, you know, trying new things. But I was interested in it because I knew that novelty was really important for our brain. And of course, brain health is one of our big concerns as we age, because everyone's concerned about their memory. So I wanted to uh, look at the um, learning something new, how that what that does for us. And I decided that for the for the book, but also because I wanted to learn something new too, I would fly a gyrocopter, which I was had never done. Uh, it's a was a big departure. I, I was a pilot already, so it wasn't this huge departure, but it was a a big um, a big endeavor for me. And my instructor at the time, when I asked her, "Hey, you know, can I learn something new? Can I learn?" I mean, I'm fifty. I can't. I was fifty seven at the time, mm -hmm. and she said, "Oh, women now are better because mm. uh, it's now more about you." And she, I don't think she maybe she wasn't actually talking about the physiological. I, I found that later in my research, mm -hmm. but it's true that we um, we've we've changed, and it's really can be great, as these women said. And again, like the 60s were the, their favorite decade, which is not something you expect to hear. You know, everyone probably thinks you're going to say 20s or 30s. Mm -hmm. No, they said the 60s. The 60s. Just, okay, I have a bunch of follow-up questions. First of all, for the audience, what's a gyrocopter? I saw some pictures of you online in your gyrocopter. But... The gy <laughs> a gyrocopter is, it's an experimental, which is kind of like something you make in your garage. So, uh, I didn't make it in my garage, but someone made it in their garage. And it looks a lot like a helicopter, but it's tiny and it's an open cockpit. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of, I was like, is that considered outdoor if you fly? And I was like, yes, because it's open cockpit. And seriously, I've flown a lot of open cockpit things. And you do feel part of the elements when you fly an open cockpit. It's it's no joke. You, you're really in tune with weather and birds and terrain in a way that I I, mean, I, I justified it. But it, it actually, again, like as I did with like, let's say bird watching, like, yeah, or base jumping. Yeah, I'll just check this out and kind of try to put it in the book. Well, yes, it actually really belongs. Right, and did you find it, did you find learning to drive the gyrocopter um, any different than when you were learning to be a pilot when you were younger? Like was yes. the learning process harder or easier or did you notice Hardly your age? Because I was so, when I was younger, I remember very clearly being more concerned with how other people would think I was learning mm. and actually learning. Mm -hmm. And, and so, and some, some of that was because, you know, I was one of the few women, for instance, when I did learn to fly initially, I was only 20 years old and mm -hmm. it was really, really difficult. I learned to fly Cessnas, um, but I would maybe not ask the questions because I was like, oh, then they'll think all women are dumb if I ask this question. So I felt like when I was certain, and also, you you know, when you're younger, you do care about what other people think. I did. Mm -hmm. And um, you want to present yourself a certain way. And you don't tend... So while maybe my brain was more like a sponge, like they say, I think I learned just as well or maybe better this time around because I was way more assiduous about it. I was just way more like, I really want to know what the airspeed should be, you know, when blah, blah, blah. That's, I wanted to know. I wasn't just pretending. I wasn't posturing at all. And funny, <laughs> Britta was so funny. I was like, when I asked her about my brain, she said, oh, it's not that your brain is failing. It's that it has so much in it. 
<laughs> and I love that idea of like, oh, that's that's why. That's like yeah. such a reframe. It is. Uh, and, I, and, and so I thought, okay, I'll just kind of pick and choose and chuck stuff that isn't important. Uh, and I, I turned out that, you know, I've always been an average learner. There's nothing, you know, I'm very dogged and disciplined, but in terms of actually like talented, I wouldn't call myself talented in anything. I'm kind of a jack of all trades, mm -hmm. but I do work hard. And um, so I've never been, you know, I've always done well in school because I don't have, I don't I have a good brain. I don't have dyslexia. I don't have any of those challenges, some people, but you know, it's still pretty average. Mm -hmm. So I, I'd say that I maybe, I, I not only learned it maybe just as well, but I enjoyed it more. Mm. Really. Right. Yeah. And you know what took me by surprise? Not not just the mental, but the physiological, like the muscle mm. memory. Nobody had told me like when you're learning something new, there's also that 57 years of muscle memory. Mm -hmm. And so that for me, when I was learning to, to fly this new thing, I had to do different muscle memory, you know, Re, re, uh, I had to lay down some new neural pathways, mm -hmm. the old ones. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, I mean, I loved a few things you said there. I had a, I had a grandmother who lived to be, she died a year before her, sorry, a month before her 107th birthday. What? And yeah. And she like, from her story, I pull out a few threads from her life, but one of them is always like, she always used to say to me, Sarah, there's no dumb questions. Like she lived by that and she kept asking questions. So then when I'd be over there, she'd be like, she was very progressive and, and modern thinking almost even into her 100s, <laughs> you know, because she would always ask me questions. Like she'd go, the first time she saw... I don't know, a gay couple. She said to me, well, I've never seen that before, that before. Like, what do you think about that, Sarah? Let's talk about that. Like she went from like zero to like, I, I think people should be able to love who they love so quickly because she asked the question, you know, like instead of, instead of making some kind of assumption or thinking that's weird or whatever else other people her age thought, she just asked the question, what do you think? We explored it together, you know? And yeah. then, and like that kind of thing, it just kept her on like, I'm sure that was a part of the reason why she, she lived to that. Yeah, and the fact that she so was strong. <laughs> yeah. So many changes she had to see. So if you're going to be fighting all those changes and not curious about them, but combative about them, that's going to take a toll. Mm -hmm. And I also think that that I think the neuroscience holds up. I'm reading a book, which I can't remember the name of. So this is a terrible story, but about that by that neuroscientist who wrote that book, Still Alice, about dementia. Oh, yeah. OK. Uh, she said he's dementia anyway. And she and for our listeners, I can put it in the show notes. But it's essentially says that like that theory of there's more things in your brain is actually true. Right. And so you and I tell myself that a lot because I find myself to be increasingly forgetful. Um, I'm almost 48 now. So it's like it's coming. <laughs> um, you have so much in there. So much yeah. stuff in there. <laughs> yeah. You have to start rearranging and throwing. Just do a little purging. Take it to Goodwill. Yeah. Start checking some things out. Yeah. <laughs> and I will say that the research that I did that maybe she's covering also in the book is that the brain is so plastic. Mm -hmm. That this plasticity mm -hmm. is a new concept discovered by a woman, by the way, Marion Diamond, mm -hmm. that our brain is actually um, has plasticity. So it adapts. And that's why novelty is so great. And that's why I actually another reason I think the outdoors with its constant uncertainty. I mean, you can go outside on a walk thinking this walk is going to be the same walk 
I did every time, but it could rain. You know, you could see a wild animal. Uh, you could run into friends. I mean, it, it's not the uncertainty is all is is always sparking your brain. I think outside when you're outside. I think that's a a particular advantage to mm-hmm. being outside and how it helps you neurally. But also, the research shows that. When you're older, yes, may, first of all, you're, you're growing brain cells all the time, new brain cells. But even if you, uh, you're you not growing your brain like a younger person or parts of your brain, you are actually rewiring instead. So you become like a kind of like a highway, you're, you have a highway system and it's like, you know what, I want to take a, that, that road is way too potholy. I'm going to do this different route now. And your brain, when you get older, does that. And what the research shows is that we can be even more innovative as a result. Mm. Interesting. Right. Because innovation is just connecting the dots on things that are already there, basically. And if you want to take the circuitous route to do it, imagine the cool things that like are, are, are helping are, are there along the way mentally Mm -hmm. that, uh, yeah, that, that, that that's called creativity. Endurance sports should be accessible to everyone, right? That's why we are so excited to be partnering with Motive. Motive is one of the fastest growing training apps in the world today with thousands of amateur athletes signing up every month and a nearly perfect 4.9 star rating in the app store. You are not a template and your training plan should not be either. Prepare for running races, triathlons, cycling events, duathlons, or swim runs, however your season schedule shapes up, and get training written by some of the best coaches in the world in each discipline who know what it takes to help amateur athletes reach their goal on race day. The app takes the training written by those experts and then creates the most optimal training plan for your schedule, abilities, and goals. Plus, the training is fully customized to your race schedule, how much you can train each week, your current abilities, and the goals you want to achieve in your race. You can use the app for free as long as you want or get all the upgraded features from the app for just $19.99 a month. But as a feisty listener, you can sign up at mymotive.com and use the code FEISTY for two months of full premium access. That's right, you get two months of premium for free. So you quite literally have nothing to lose. So head over to mymotive.com, M-Y-M-O-T-T-I-V.com and use the code FEISTY, F-E-I-S-T-Y. And on a personal note, I know the founder of Motive and he is driven to make triathlon and all endurance sports more accessible for the athletes who care about their performance, but who aren't quite ready for a full-time personal coach. If that sounds like you, definitely try the app for two months for free. You literally have nothing to lose. Um, and something else that's like that keeps coming up for me as a theme, and I think it's because I think about this in my own life, but like, you know, there are the things as we get older that we choose to keep doing, you know, that we always did. Like, so for me, that might be running would be one of those things, you know, that I have to adapt a little bit. I don't go to You're the track. You're a triathlete, right? I was so- a triathlete. Yeah. So <laughs> was, 
much. Was, okay. yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, I like I'm aware. Like I have to make. I get. I now have shoes that have more, that are spun have spongier soles, so that I can so I can run as often as I want to. That kind of thing. Then there's other things that I do that are new or that I learned. Like that would be the equivalent of you, yeah, and your gyrocopter, right? Um, that aren't me flying in the air, by the way. <laughs> that are more like I covered a swimmer learning to swim. Right. I mean, that's a big one. That's a big one in my triathlon world too. Like a lot of people as an adult, it's really hard to learn to swim. Yeah. That's a great example. Yeah. Um, and where do you think that like balances in terms of like, what's the best balance of those things? Cause if you keep doing the things that you've always done, you're just watching yourself almost get worse at them mm-hmm. <laughs> for some things, not for yeah. everything, for some things, but it, then there's the process of learning new things. Like where's the balance? Yeah. yeah, you don't want to be pathological about learning new things, just like <laughs> I have to learn new things, because that takes away the fun of it. I mean, there's also reasons you want to learn new things for the <laughs> the actual joy of doing that. Not because right. You know, I had to, I, I think on this journey of this book, I had to look at myself and see like what, and I partly aging and the zeitgeist makes you do this because it's mm-hmm. constantly telling you sort of who you should be and what you can do as you age. That becomes starker, I think. I think it's like that for women throughout and maybe certainly people of color, maybe men too and white men, I don't know. But I will say that there, I can only, I'll speak for myself and the women that I talk to and my friends. Like we are being, we have messages about what we can and cannot do. And it's constantly coming up against what we feel we really kind of want. Mm. And that's what I had to do. I had to sit down when I realized, looked around on my surfboard and saw there's no women out here my age, Mm -hmm. not even close. And they're also better than me. So why aren't they here? I had to start thinking, who who do I want to be? Who was I? And that was cool, but no longer appropriate. What are the, and what are the habits that I've acquired that are no longer of use? Because I think a lot of time... And it's hard. It's hard. It's hard to, first of all, it's hard to sit down and map it. You kind of just want to go through your life and just keep that open mind. And I would say that, that looking that, first of all, if we are believing some of these, this toxic messaging about that, we, um, you know, we don't want exhilaration or adventure. We're not fun anymore. We're increasing irrelevant. You should push against that and do whatever it takes. In particular, though, the thing about outdoor adventure and why I feel so strongly about it is that it covers all the pillars of healthy aging, fulfilling aging, uh, in kind of one fell swoop. So as we age, we want community. We want uh, purpose. Uh, we want health and we want novelty. So I think in our lives, that's, so I think I started to look at myself through the prism of that and make sure that I had that in my life. And maybe my, my idea of community, for instance, has changed a lot. Like I'm a little more of a homebody than I used to be. Uh, And is that okay? Like you just kind of ask yourself and it is okay. But the thing about it is something that we have to be on the watch for because as we age, these things do start to fall away. Uh, you know, purpose definitely. I think everyone will say as we, you know, maybe retire out of our jobs and our kids aren't home anymore. Like, wh- what are we good for? 
What, what, are, what is our purpose here? What do we offer others? Community, that also gets harder, so hard to meet people. Our health is super important. So if you pick an outdoor activity, and I understand for people who have never gone outside before, they might say, why should I? Like you're asking, like, why should I do this? Mm -hmm. And I'm just saying, I think it will change your life because that's what every woman I talked to told me. And most of them had started later in life. So when I went boogie boarding with these women in their 60s, 70s and 80s in San Diego, I talked to a woman named Lorraine and she had never had an, a real outdoor life. And she it was the pandemic and she saw these women in the water and she didn't even really li like the ocean. She didn't like, she lived in San Diego, but she didn't love the ocean. She had been a swimmer, so she knew she could go in the water, but she didn't love it. But she was in a transitional stage in her life. Her, uh, her sister had passed. Her son was out of the house. Uh, it was her and her husband, her job. I think she had recently retired and she thought, why not? I I'll just try this. And they, the women looked like they were having so much fun. And she, so she got in the water and right away it spoke to her in a way. And it gives me chills actually, because she said it, boogie boarding did change her life. And that is not a trivial thing. It's, mm -hmm. it's because, uh, you know, it is boogie boarding for those of you who don't know, is just like a little sort of cafeteria tray that floats and you get on your stomach and you ride like a little wave in the ocean and it's actually what kids do mm -hmm. but as simple as it is it was life-changing for her because it i think it offers all that community she had this amazing posse of women that she would go out into the elements with so there was this physical vitality which is again a direct rebuke for people saying oh when you're older, you don't want that stuff and there was the health aspect of getting outside and also getting in the water and purpose. Like she was actually part of, I did some actual, I was interested in community and purpose and I did some research on it. And there's such, you know, we need us, we're humans, we need social interaction, but there's a concept, I think it's called deep belonging. So it's not just mm. being around something. It's like that you belong. You're like, you're an integral part. I don't think mm -hmm. I have the nomenclature right, but it's something about just being belonging. And she belonged to this community that that three times a week went out in the very cold Pacific Ocean and had a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm thinking a lot about the assumptions we make about other people and about ourselves, right? Because we've talked a lot about like the zeitgeist and the messages that we get, but like sometimes those things are internalized and sometimes we think them about other women, you know? Um, and I was just thinking, because one of the things that I do is my new learning thing is I'm taking hip hop classes. Um, and there's a couple of women in their sixties and seventies in the group. And I started talking to this one woman, she just moved here da, 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 and I realized as she was talking that I had made all these assumptions about her, <laughs> right? And she started telling me her story and she said, oh, well, and she's from a remote part of British Columbia. And then she said, oh, and we, and when I was there, we had a, she was part of a dance, a hip hop dance troupe <laughs> that they called, I don't know, they had a name, like Silver something or, you know, <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> like the, that was not what I expected to come out of her mouth. Like, I literally expected her to say, you know. My grandson was taking it and I decided to try or like, you know, something like this. I thought, I thought Sarah, just like, stop it, <laughs> you know, um, stop making those assumptions about in and about ourselves, too. 
right? Um, well, I had that same thing happen. I'm in uh, when I was boogie boarding. There was a woman who was taking kind of a little bit more the face of the wave instead of the white water, and I. So I managed to ask her. So while we were out there, um, I suddenly like, oh, you're out there in the in the kind of waves as opposed to the white water, which is what most of the women did. It was still was super fun. And she said, oh, I used to be a surfer. Right. And I wanted to ask her more like, oh, and I, I, but the wave came and we were all being, you know, tumbled about. And, uh, but in my head, I automatically made this assumption. Oh, I, she probably got married. She gave up surfing because she, it wasn't ladylike, or I don't know, she got nervous or I, she had kids and it was too dangerous. I had this whole story. <laughs> and then instead I asked her and she's like, oh no, I was riding a Honda 180 on the beach and I broke my knee. So I couldn't surf for a while. And then, um, and then I, uh, then I went, what did she say? Oh, then I, I asked her name and she said, Ginny as in gin and tonic. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then she said, she started telling me her life story, which was not at all what I thought, you know, she had lived overseas. She was, you know, um, fed by a lawyer and by some, you know, like uh, dastardly characters that, you know, she was a very romantic, she cut a very dashing figure and none of that I had, I had thought of. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, it's so interesting. And then, yeah. And then we make those assumptions about ourselves too. Right. Like I think about some of the things I did in my early forties where I was like almost congratulating myself for like, look at the things I'm doing. I'm 42, <laughs> you know? And now I think how stupid that was. <laughs> Cause like, of course. I Like do. what? Like when I first started CrossFit, right? I would think, look at me, I can do handstand push-ups. <laughs> I'm 42. This is 42, you know? And, <laughs> and that's then, pretty uh, cool. I mean, it is pretty cool. It's I mean, cool it, anyway. It's cool anyway. And I yeah. think that's the point of what I'm trying to say is like, I'm like, stop judging myself if we're good or for, you know, like, why would, why would a 42 year old not be able to do handstand pushups? Right. Cause now, well, cause we don't see it. Right. We just don't see it. Right. I mean, I think we, we, yeah, it's funny because I think it was hard to tread this line of not, of not looking like I was trying to be younger. I don't know Maybe. if this is part of what you're trying to say, but mm -hmm. because I don't want to be younger. I never did because I say this in the book, I had an amazing role model in my own mother who blossomed after 40 and then 50 and then 60. I mean, it was this, and I really had a sense. She, in fact, was my subliminal messaging that getting older was just a time of um, more, better. You know, it's like you, it got funner. It got more exciting in, so, in a lot of ways. And we became better because of my mom. And uh, so I didn't, I've never wanted to be younger. There's just attributes that youth have claimed for their own, which is not fair, that I'm taking back is all. Mm -hmm. And I want to, and I was very clear, I hope in the beginning of the book that this was, this was about not fighting aging because I'm not interested in, in that. And I'm not even interested in longevity per se. It's just fulfilling aging and what mm -hmm. is I love that. Um, well, you did a great job in the book of telling the stories of all these amazing women. So now that we all have people to look to or to aspire towards and the things that we normally can't see. So thank you for doing that. Oh. Uh, and before we go, is there any last minute wisdom or advice that you would want to give our audience? 
Yeah, well, maybe to go back to, you know, here we are at this age and why should we do anything more? Um, maybe just put it in your head to say yes to the to the things that people ask you to do, even if you don't think that it's going to be uh, something that you like, especially if it's an outdoor thing. And if you are willing to embrace an outdoor life to begin one, for those of you who already have one, you already know how fulfilling it is and how, yeah, how holistically um, exhilarating it is to have an outdoor life. But for those of you who are trying to start one, it is hard, but bring a friend. That's what I mm. really learned. Like enlist somebody else because um, then you'll be more accountable. And, and uh, yeah. And community was kind of one of your pillars, right? Like oh yeah, totally. And community is a pillar, which I think you get even. So I interviewed, um, I was interested in competitive sports like triathlons, but I didn't want to cover triathlons because um it was just, I did actually interviewed a woman named Joan Wicks who taught herself to, to run at 50, I think she was 55. She, she used a, just an app which, and did it on her own. And, but I, I also interviewed the oldest BMX racer in the mm -hmm. country, female That's racer, great. Miss Kitty and Miss Kitty, Kitty Western Nower, her racing moniker is Miss Kitty. She it's an individual sport, BMX racing, but the community aspect was incredible to watch on the track. Like people, uh, I mean, Miss Kitty taught me how to race a BMX bike. And then I, then we raced, I raced against her. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's how the community was. And there was this, there was, it was really a living, breathing example of that, uh, belonging. Mm. Uh, cause she, uh, Kitty is a is a widow now, and she but she drives an RV around the country racing, and she's famous. Like when I sat with her, people came up and wanted to talk to her, wanted to shake her hand. Mm -hmm. uh, kids, uh, men, women. It was really inspiring. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I found that story very inspiring. Also, as as was the whole book. So um, I definitely encourage all of our listeners to go and buy the book. Um, and thank you so much for writing it, Caroline. Oh, thank you, Sarah. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for what you guys do at Feisty. I appreciate that so much. Mm -hmm.